Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Natural Born Hunter podcast. And tonight, we're going to start out with this. Phil, what is better than getting 10% off on your Mountain Ops purchase? Getting 11% off your Mountain Ops purchase? That's true. And what's better than that? Well, we can walk this all the way up, but let's just go ahead and jump right up to 20% off, Will. Yes, let's not annoy our listeners by going <laughs> increment by increment till he gets 20%. <laughs> if you want 20% off your next purchase from Mountain Ops, go to GetMountainOps.com, enter the coupon code NBH20 at checkout, and boom, you get 20% off. I encourage you to do so. I love my Mountain Ops. Hell yeah, they've got great proteins, pre-workouts, they got little... BCA pills that I love, multivitamins. I mean, if you want to get jacked, just take a little Yeti, and you will be well on your way. That's it, man. And you can't beat the new flavor of the Yeti. So check it out, everybody. Once again, NBH20 at checkout. Also, uh, we are able to provide to you a pretty sweet gift code from Maven Optics which is NBH gift. If you enter that at your checkout, they will send you some free Maven swag with your purchase. I mean, these are probably one of the hottest binoculars out there today. They're fully customizable, you know, when it comes to camo patterns, colors, and not only that, they're great glass. I'm going to have Phil tell you a little bit more about that because he had a really nice expensive pair of binoculars and he sold them and got himself yeah, some no, Mavens. I Absolutely, man. I mean, when you when you look at us as hunters, we want the best bang for our buck, right? And not everybody has fifteen hundred or two grand or twenty five hundred dollars to spend on a pair of optics. So why not get as close to the good the quality of what those two thousand dollar pair of binoculars are for half the price? You know, I mean, Mavens put a excellent product together. They've eliminated the middleman and brought you the hunter, you know, the best product they can put together and kept it in a reasonable price. So, you know, if you don't believe us, you know, they're out here, they're finishing first or second in, in all kinds of awards when they're, they're putting their binoculars out there for an independent review. They just took second in a recent review on their spotting scope. And that's, there was over 30 entries into that review. Uh, all the big boys were in there too, ladies and gentlemen. And Maven, yes, on their new spotting scope, took second place in there. I mean, if that doesn't tell you, you know, that they're, they're putting out top-notch quality products, you know, I don't know what it is. Listen to me. It's money. Listen to Will. You know, they're giving us, they're giving us and our listeners the opportunity to, you know, look, if you're watching, check out this sweet hat I got on. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a sweet hat right there I got with my binos, right? So check it out, man. They're going to kick you a free gift. I encourage you to support the companies that are really keeping the hunter in mind. That's right. So it's for Mountain Ops, NBH20 for 20% off your purchase at checkout. And for Maven, it's NBH Gift at checkout. Try them out. At Maven Let, built, yeah, mavenbuilt.com. That's right. That's right. So get on over there and try them out. And now go on and enjoy the show. <laughs> Where are you at, Will? That looks like you're a – love the backdrop, baby. I mean, thank you. Thank you. This is an old fireplace made of uh, reclaimed brick. It's uh, in the office. The fireplace nice. is downstairs. My background noise will be uh, short-lived. The family's heading out to do some 
Halloween shopping real quick. I uh, don't so even worry about it. Rounded up. The older ones are in tow. Bro, congratulations on the new member of the family. As hey. a... Is Presley close or Archer? Either one? I'll show them to you because I want them famous. <laughs> Those are my... I guess not. They're all loaded up, ready to head out for some uh, once they're once, once they're buckled in the seat, there's no coming out of there until the trip is over. Yeah, it's, uh, like, especially, it's happening. Especially for the little one. He hates it. You talk about a restraining restraint for him. He touches that car seat, and it's a wrap. Oh. Just fall full all-out hell mode. My boy's on the same page. It's like you're putting him in prison. Yeah, not Presley, though. She sits back, has some snacks, has a drink, and watches Frozen for the 47,000th time in a row. Oh, Matt, do you <laughs> want to build a snowman? <laughs> oh, my God, Lord. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So, welcome to the show. Our guest tonight, Matt and Matt, and my right-hand man till Phil comes back from his hunting trip, Lane Walter. Guys, thank you both for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. First off, Lane, always great to see you. Yeah, you too, brother, man. Yeah, been Matt. Too long, been too long. I've only been trying to get you on here for a year or so. Hey, you know, you know now. You have that. You have that beautiful child. Add three more and a dog and two <laughs> careers: basketball, football. Man, I'm telling you. I don't even know how I stay vertical some days. It's... Dude, I was going to ask you about that, about how you like find the balance to juggle everything. That's something I'm looking for right now, you know, the balance between the hunting, the filming, the, the family time, and then paying the bills, you know? Man, I'll tell you what, and you already have it, and that's a, a, a impeccable partner. I mean, I'm, I'm the most selfish person out there, but it takes my wife to smack my ass back in line and tell me I can't, I can't, I can't. So in my mind, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out there 15 hunts a year. You know, I'm gone from, even when I tell people, you know, what I do or what I love to do. Yeah, I hunt from August until January. I hunt five days from August until January. <laughs> but really, it, just, it takes, but my wife is, she's the one who keeps me and allows me to do those small trips just because of we have so many kids and we have so many responsibilities. And one thing, especially as a father with three boys, I don't want to instill in them the thought that they can get away from responsibilities. And when you sign up with the team, when you sign up for, you know, sporting events or school events, you have to, you have to stick to that commitment regardless of how great, you know, Saturday hunting with dad would be or, or what have you. So I, I, it's, it's tough, but she takes a lot on her shoulders. I mean, just like the, you know, the thing, I just got back from two weeks away. That's incredible. I mean, I couldn't, I love my kids. I love my kids. And I don't know if I could be alone with my kids for two weeks without some sort of break, some sort of outlet. Uh, so congrats to her. You both have, you both have beautiful wives, beautiful families. That's what it takes. It just takes someone to, to know that it means that much to you to find the way to do it. And then you just, Figure out what's important. Is it one hunt a year? Is it two hunts a year? Is it one archery hunt, or is it just that one spectacular life hunt that you have? And it's just gonna—it's gonna be a family ordeal, not just you ordeal, because everybody has to take it on realistically. Uh, that's a—you know what? That's something I've 
been dealing with but had never been able to communicate because right now my hunting season is spotty at best right the pre-hunting season was spotty at best and it's like i have a choice to anytime i went out there for pre-season i took him with me right and Mm -hmm. now it's like all right what's really important i gotta look at the days used to be this time of year i would be in the woods all the time taking days off now it's like i can't take days off because one when i come to the office he comes with me we don't do daycare he comes to the office because my family's here family business so i'm very fortunate and i can't just say hey guys everybody watch him i'm going out in the woods you know that won't be accepted so now it's like all right only time we get to hang out as a family is going to be the weekend you know friday night saturday and it's like all right I'm looking at Sunday evening, maybe Monday evening hunts. That's what my hunting season's gone from. It used to be like every night hitting it, especially this time of year, to now Sunday, Monday night, I might go sit for a few hours. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to get better, Will. And the only reason (laughs) I say that is because the little ones, once they go from holding to crawling to walking – to having the ability to, you know, walk and, and fend for themselves to a little bit where you don't have to worry if they're breathing, you have to worry about if they poop themselves or if they're picking up every single thing on the floor. You're going to get that freedom back. I don't know what the hell I do. I got two teenagers and two under two. Yeah, what um, were you doing? What were you doing? Hey, man. We know what, like, we know what Matt likes to do in his spare time. Hey, have you seen my wife? Holy <laughs> shit. I will say I this. I around anything. <laughs> hunter. Do or die hunter <laughs> through and through. And I will say this. Having stayed in the event household, which, Matt, I meant to write you a thank you card. And I, I've been putting that off for like a year and a half now. But thank you very much for letting me stay in your household. One, Always. Matt is one of the best cooks I have ever been around in my life. Two, I'll his... They, he, their, their family, it is a well-oiled machine. Let me tell you what, those boys, they know if they're not being helpful, if they're not being um, polite, there will be consequences. Yeah, they are held to a very, very fine line. Very fine line. High standards. High standards have been set, and they're impressive. They're both impressive gentlemen. That's and awesome. living where I live in this in this Scottsdale town, which is very bougie, very affluent, it's it's tough because nobody treats their children the way I treat them. Nobody talks to their kids the way I talk to them in public, in a public setting, at games, at the grocery store, whatever. It's tough, but I mean, come on, look where the hell our country is. Look what we're dealing with. And this is the only time we'll ever say the word. The politics we have right now. It's because we've gone so weak because we're so soft-spined. My kids won't be. My kids will be completely opposite. If anything, they'll be damn near heartless until they find that perfect woman to bring them back into balance. Oh, but the princess. I mean, the princess, she's she sleeps on my – go ahead. Look at where that's got you, raising your kids that way. you got guys like Will look at your kids and you're like, damn, man, you're raising them right. They're, yeah, well, they're, those are people that understand. They – but they look at it, and you are raising kids to be proud of, you know. And that is the biggest reflection on any man is if you can raise your kids to the other people and look at that. Wow, you raised them right. That's the best reflection on a man. So well, my my biggest thing and why I do it is a direct parallel to to my father. 
is I want my kids to be self-sufficient. I want to know they need to know how to cook. They need to know how to iron and do laundry and, and, and do the and do the yard as well as balance. Well, not that they ever have to balance a checkbook, but they have to have life skills as a human being. There's nobody out there, especially in this society, that gives a shit about you. Nobody. They're out to get you. I live that. I live I lived my life that way. Everybody's they try everybody's kind of trying to see what they could fiddle off you and pick you. And I think we could get to that later, but I'm a huge giver. Like I give my time and I give anything I can to anybody, but don't you think that I don't Facebook search you and look you up and make sure that my time isn't well spent on correct people and correct individuals because I'm a lover at heart, but I'll be damned. I will shut you down so fast. It is a wrap. So I, I raised my boys to be men, to be men on their own, providing we're not at that anymore. We're not at that anymore. I mean, most families going forward are dual income families, right? They, I mean, that's just kind of how the way it is with the cost of everything and, and how life is expensive. One thing, both parties want to be individuals and want to be independent and want to have that for themselves. So I want my, when my son meets a woman and my daughter meets a man, I want them to be a full package by themselves. They don't need someone to come in to make them whole besides the love and affection part. And that's kind of where I go from. I think you're gonna, your kids are gonna have a hard time dating. I hope so. <laughs> and here's why. And here's <laughs> why. Because a lot of people, I think, either want to feel needed or feel like they want to fix you. So if you come in and you're like, "Nah, I'm good. Let's just let's just be us. Let let's just be regular." There's not gonna be that many regular people around. Well, that's good. Could you imagine if you took? If you took dating, I can't say dating away, but if you took all the bad choices you made with your privates from 13 until you were 25, the ones that the women you prayed over, the situations that you would give your life for, just if you had this one night or moment, you don't have that. I don't, I don't think you have that if you feel whole as a person. I mean, if you feel like you're good and, you know, we could get at it, I mean... I teach my son now. Look, they're 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 biting at him. He's my oldest. He's he's handsome and he looks. He's like a very me. handsome, young bra. And he's he is an incredible athlete. So obviously, at his age, he's how old is he now? They're, they're coming. He's third. He'll be fourteen in ooh, ooh. November third, a week. Whew. Watch yeah, out now. It. He's in the mix of it, and he has the iPhones with the videos, with the snap, sex chats, face things. That's what it is. And That's all it is now. Girls are trifling. It's easier than it used to be. Boys. You don't even have to try. As a no. boy? No. You have to try when you're in college. Once women become more independent. I think, I don't know yet because my daughter is very, very young. But I think <laughs> boys, boys don't care in high school, right? They want athletes. They don't want, they, well, they don't want their hair to look bad. They stink because they're always playing something. But I think females are looking for more attention in high school than men are. So the boys are like, whatever. So the girls are putting it out. Just going off my son, just putting it out. It's like, boy, better shut that down. Shut it down. No need for it. It'll do nothing but ruin, you know, the, the, the progress you have in your life right now. It'll ruin it. Not you yet. Know, you know that song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Hey, that ain't that the truth. I've, I've been on my knees, and I'm, God, Lord have mercy. Oh, <laughs> no, thank you. That's, no, thank you. That's for people. Well, me and you will be right there. Oh, yeah. People say there's no God, but I'll tell you what. 
If there, yeah. if there was no God, I'd be in a lot worse place than I am now. Boy. Oh, good gracious. I don't know what to tell you. Yo, so let's, let's, uh, since this is somewhat of a hunting podcast. Right. Let's, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's switch over. I mean, although, you know what? It's, it's, there is definitely, I think there's not a forum like there definitely used to be where guys could get together who are like, this is the way we think it is. Let's, let's throw it out there. Let's mix it up. Let's see what the other guys think about it. And that's why it is good to have a podcast like this. It's not too structured that we're going to pitch, just throw the hunting yeah. on there because it is. People want to hear it's, it's, it's content and it's band talk. I mean, it's not, we're not, we're hitting on stuff that you're going to talk to your friend about or your uncle about or your dad if we're if you're still we you know, benefit enough to have them around and stuff. We were having family dinner earlier. Uh, we were at my parents, my sister and her husband were there, my wife, all of us. They just have a newborn two months younger than my son. And we were talking, saying, you know, how many times, you know, during the recession was business down and all this, and we say, you know, I would say to them, think about it this way. You still have kids who moved back here or stayed here and all they want to do is be around you, you are way more ahead than you think you are, right? Even if business is down, you have this in, this one thing that people would pay for and they can't get. And so oh, we yeah. were in church this past Sunday. This woman turns around to my dad and she says, you are so lucky to have your family living around here still and coming with you. Yeah. So, but tell you I'm that. The, like, I'm the middle of five, and I have nobody around. Well, I have my younger brother around me, but you know Phoenix. Phoenix is transient. the biggest city in the nation. It's you just you can't get across it without lunch. It's just <laughs> it's so big. So yeah, I get I completely get that. And you don't get you don't get it until you're way older, until you have kids, until you you feel the heartaches of. I understand my parents now. They're not like you know. I never got my parents until I was divorced 30s and I understood what divorce meant and I understood what it took to make a marriage and what could break a marriage I mean where are those breaking points until I got you know I went through those trials I didn't even understand my parents like I still judge them now I look at my parents more as friends than parents like I get you like I get it I get what you had to do to be you and it sucks when you're kids I mean it sucks I mean it sucks but I mean do you do you be an individual? Do you sacrifice your life for your kids forever and end up dying without having, you know, answered dreams and prayers? So yeah, family's yeah. tough, bro. And getting back to that balance, and you gotta yeah. figure it out and, and go from there. And like Will was talking mm -hmm. about, he's not sure he's getting out. You might just have to change your strategy, dude. Just dedicate like a four days of hey, these four days I'm taking vacation, I'm hunting, and that's my hunt for the year. You know, instead of every night. Like you did last year, you might have to change the strategy up, do something different. Treat it more. That's why it's trail cameras. Get them patterned. <laughs> Go out there on the Thursday that they're there after four. That's uh, awesome. Get them out there with you, though, dude. When you were out scouting, getting stuff set up all season, I love it, man. I did the same thing with the kids. It's great. Yeah, and he'll be coming into the stand probably later in the season once, once I've sent one home. I'll bring them out just to kind of hang out in the stand, you know, with dad, mom, and even if it's for 30 minutes, I, I don't care. I'll just get them out. 
And sp- yeah. speaking of chasing the dream, Matt, for a long time, I know your dream was to do a self-guided Alaskan moose hunt. And yes, sir. You're fresh. You're fresh off it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Man, it's so fresh. I, I, I told myself and I told Mike that I was going to put the video away for six months and not touch it. Well, I spent three hours last night. And I, I, three hours I edited 17 seconds of an intro because 70% of it is, I don't say crap, but it's distorted because it, it rained every day. It was foggy every day. So, yeah, I relived it last night for the entire night. I just sat there in awe of, like, it happened. I, it's like going back as an adult and watching that championship game where you had that perfect whatever the hell it was, shot, tackle, point. So, yeah, it's, it's really fresh, especially today because, like I said, last night it was silly. But, yeah, it's, Moose has been my – it's my number two since I've ever – since I was watching Marty Stauffer growing up. Something about that big slobbery animal through the brush and through the muck just there's, – there's never any, anything like it. And when I moved out west and I found elk and I found mule deer and I found a big country, it still didn't – it didn't capture that experience. Now my sisters lived in Anchorage for 15 years and I've never gone up there. One, cause I'm a bad brother. Two, cause I have a big ass family. And honestly, I've been kind of timid to go up there because it's, that's it. Like to, to most people, that's the last, that's the moon. That's the last frontier. How do you get any more rugged and nasty and can you, I'll say it a hundred times tonight. Can you do it place than Alaska? So a couple years ago, uh, me and Russ Meyer and Mark Warnke just kind of sat down and just talked it out and figured out that it was realistic. And it was, it was realistic in my, in my current life. And of course, obviously I had to sit the boss down and say, you know, look, this is, this is what it's going to be. Obviously, it's a hell of a lot easier to say yes to two weeks away from the family, two years, two years before it happens, and before little Archer came around because he was a Hawaii surprise. Hello. <laughs> so when it came down to it, it was a whole lot uh, different family structure. So it was, uh, man, there was a whole lot of courting and a whole lot of I'm sorry's and crying nights and. Holy cow! Should I really? Should I really do this? I mean, does it mean this much to me to put my family in this situation? Of, I mean, damn man, that's two weeks without the man, with a woman with four children. That's bro. That's so selfish and it's so ridiculous. So that's that was the first step, guys. That should I even do it? I'm in a different person now. I mean, we all have dreams. I mean, I wanted to be a DJ forever. I DJ'd the hell out of parties on the weekends, baby. But sometimes you just got to put it up. But this one, I, I couldn't let go. I, I couldn't. I had to, I had to deal with the, the crying nights and the, the talking down and expressing that, you know, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing, I knew what the hell I was doing, that I, I would survive and I would come back. And, and the, the adventure and the chase was worth hopefully the harvest and the heartache on the family that's step one jack you talk about a hurdle that wasn't i wasn't expecting that 
that's that's big. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's probably the biggest hurdle, isn't it? Like, just, say again. It's probably the biggest hurdle going through, by far. It was, it was it was the hardest. I mean, I um, me and Mike, ever since we've known each other, we've kind of had a motto that everything in life only takes twenty seconds of courage. If you you could do anything, if you could take those that first step. If you could get through the first 20 seconds of anything, the rest always falls in place. Public speaking, kickoff, asking somebody out, the proposal, any of it. It's 20 seconds. 20 seconds of manning up. Man up, Jack. So that's what it was. It was, it was two years and 20 seconds of me walking out the door. Once the door closed and the Uber driver door closed, it was just text messages. And I know my wife. And she knows me and she knows that this runs very, very deep inside me. It's not just a, it's not just, I'm, I'm not going on a hunting trip. I'm going on something that I need to fulfill me on, on, on my journey through life. I, I need these, I need these adventures to be on my deathbed and look at her and know that, you know, she didn't hiccup me as I hoped. And when she looks back at me that I didn't hiccup her on her individual journey because you you know you're still individuals in a marriage you still have this stuff in the back of your head that you want to do but you you know you hope they parallel together big trips like this i have to have it i have to i could get away with not shooting a damn coos deer in arizona i've shot a coos deer i've shot a mule deer shot a white i've done that those i could say okay next year i won't do it next year this, this wasn't it. This was, this was the one. This was the one that I, I had to do. It had to be, it was all in. Everybody had to be all in. I brought, I tried to, I tried to bring people in to, to help and, and, you know, uh, just be, take, take my place. My, my in-laws, my wife's mother and my brother both came in and tried to pair, try to sidestep each other, but don't matter. Still tough. Okay. There's no replacement for the big man. <laughs> uh-uh. And no one else dances throughout the house like me. <laughs> Maybe you can show us that later. The end. <laughs> oh, boy. Who's on? You go for it. All right. So, so first 20 seconds of the hunt. Take it from there to the end. Let's do it. Man. You know... You have you have a dream, right? You have a dream. You live it. Just no different than no no matter what hunter adventure you have in your life, you have in your mind how it's going to go. You have the terrain. You have the experiences you're going to do. You even throw weather in there, right? I slept on this for two years every night, and that's all I thought of. I put myself to sleep by dauntly dressing myself at four o'clock in the morning out of my tent in Alaska. I'd get up put on my socks, put on my boots, put on my blah, blah, blah. And by the time I never got dressed, I'd be asleep. So I've, I've, I've thought of this so much. We hit Alaska, right? First off, we hit Alaska. See my sister. Love you. Great to see you. And then off to Bethel we went. We land in Bethel. And instantly, I was like, holy shit. If you haven't been to Bethel, you haven't known about Bethel, it's a fly-in town. You can only fly in or drive a boat up a river. But it is the flattest piece of land on earth. 
you could put a ball straight down and it wouldn't move no matter where you go. It's, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's so flat. There's not a tree in sight. So we land and I was like, it's going to be okay because we're going to take a float plane a couple hours away and they're going to land us in the country that we've dreamt of. So we're great. First day, go to the hangar, right? Hit hit the hangar at uh, Renfro's. We got to throw that in there. We went with uh, Renfro's Alaskan Experience or Alaskan Adventures. It did an incredible job, uh, even though it's kind of a, a beginning and end thing. There's nothing in the middle. It was self-guided. They provided camp because I did do the, the diligence and research shipping stuff up of everything that we would want compared to everything that they would provide. And it was about break even. So we, we decided to go with their camp and bring some, some extra food and gear. So we hit the, we hit the uh, hangar and everybody knows anytime you take a float plane, you have the chance of getting hung up. So day one, we hit there and I'm telling you, when we, first off, when we landed at Bethel, they take all your gear and they throw you in the hangar. And they're like, just take your clothes and go to the bed and breakfast and then come back in the morning and you could dress and get ready. So we did. We just went with our plain clothes to the bed and breakfast, went back to the hangar. I'm telling you, Jack, 9 a.m. They come in at 9.05. Amen. Armstrong, you're up next. What? What are, you, what are you talking about next? I'm still in jeans. I haven't touched my bags. And mind you, anybody that knows me, I over prep for everything. They told us 50 pound bags. I over I paid for three overcharges from Phoenix to Alaska. So I know that I'm sitting at 150 pounds somewhere, somewhere. So they're like, you have 15 minutes to strip your stuff down to 50 pounds and be ready. So me and Mike, I'm telling you, it looked like a bomb went off. We were throwing gear out, throwing stuff out. We don't even know what, we basically had clothes, a water purifier and our weapons is what we were down to. When, when I looked at our bag, I was like, we're, we're both gonna die. We've thrown everything out, everything that we've prepared for two years, we've thrown out in the haste to get ready for this plane. All the fun so shit you bought. Everything that you could think of that was lightweight, expensive, and you needed to survive in Alaska was sitting in a tote that we didn't even bring beside us. And we had Cryptek camo, a weapon, our boots, and our waders, and that was it. I mean, mind you, we're big guys. We would double X and triple X clothing. You put three outfits in there. Jack, that's 50 pounds. With some waders, that's 50 pounds. So we were, we were sweating, literally sweating. Like We just kept telling yourself, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We got this. We'll be fine. Others have done it. And then mind you, look at me. I'm looking at you like I looked at him. We're going to be fine. We got this. Every, other people have done this. So we're going to be fine. So, right, 15 minutes, 15 minutes comes, comes and goes. Hour comes and goes. Mind you, the weather outside shit is blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. I'm looking outside like, whoo, you know, whoo, I don't fly good anyway. So to get in those little small planes and have to get up in that wind, I wasn't looking forward to that by any means. So hour goes by, they come back, you know, it, it's too windy. We're going to keep checking in every hour from that point on. But don't get undressed. Be prepared. Long story short, gentlemen, we did that until 9.30 p.m. We sat in that hangar ready to go. 
Waiters on, clothes on, everything. Sitting there, stressed. About nine o'clock to like, or not nine o'clock. It was probably seven forty-five to be realistic. About dark thirty. An hour past, an hour before dark, they still fly. So they're like, go back to the hangar. You're still number one tomorrow. Or go back to the hotel. Still number one tomorrow. Go back. Wake up. Come back. Same thing. You're number one. <laughs> same thing. We get dressed. We're ready to go. The owner comes in, Wade, he meets me and Mike, because we haven't talked to him yet. He looks at Mike. Now, mind you, Mike's a big fella. He makes me, he look, he makes me look a little bit smaller. And he's like, you know, I think I'm going to change where we're dropping you. He's like, Mike, you've got to be, you know, 275-ish right in there. He's like, you throw 300 pounds of meat on your back, you're not going to be able to walk through this tundra. So he's like, we're going to put you on a lake, and we're going to give you a boat and a motor, and 15 gallons of gas. So me and Mike look at each other like, Jack, are you telling me you made me take out four pounds of socks and underwear, and you just gave us 400 pounds of boat gear? So that was like the come to Jesus moment. Like, we're good. They packed the boat up, they put it next to our gear, and we went and we got all our shit, everything. Everything that we packed on, I bet we both left I don't know, about 130, 140 pounds a piece. But we had everything, extra food, extra tarps. Shoot, we, we would have brought our iPads if, I, if I'd have known. Because come on, you know, give us a boat and tell me I can't bring an, an extra pair of socks. So down we go, right? We get to the river. We're on a, we're on a beaver, I believe is what it's called. If I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Because they told us seven different types of planes while we were there. Hit the beaver. Pack up, it's go time. Took a picture, gave each other a hug, looked at each other, and, and that was it. We both said the same thing. It's time to do man shit. Family's out. Life is out. Everything from that exact point behind us was gone. We only had 14 days in our scope. And we talked about it. I called Mike every single morning. Every single morning we talked. And for two years, that's all we talked about was that moment. That 20 seconds of getting on that plane and what would happen for the next 14 days. I got, I got to tell this story, though. I told Mike I wouldn't, but I'm going to tell it. So we get, up in, we get up in the plane, Jack. Mind you, I don't fly well. Mike don't fly well. Mike's twice my size, and he's in the front of the plane. Looked like, looked like he was up there praying. His knees, his knees was all up to his chest, all up against the steering wheel, trying to look out the window. He was trying to film, and the camera was up there like this. <laughs> he couldn't even look over his shoulder back at me. So we get up probably 45 minutes into the flight. Everything's crisp. Everything's clean. No turbulence. And all of a sudden, the plane motor stops. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, did you did you see your face? That's exactly what the pilot's face looked like. Which, like most pilots are cool, like oh, we're good. Don't worry. No, he's <sighs> telling you. It was. It seemed like fifteen minutes. There's probably only ten seconds of absolute pure panic. It was a simple fix. He just, you know, I don't know. If those planes have two or three gas tanks. He just ran out of gas in one tank and forgot to flip the switch. But mind you. <laughs> We're in a small plane with no power. We're losing altitude. 
and oh, oh, I still make my stomach hurt thinking about it. We're coming down. He hits that motor. It starts up and off we go. Mike looks back at me and he was as white as I am. <laughs> Side note for those of you who don't know, Mike would be of an African American descent. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was so scared. All I could say was, that was fucking awesome. That was my only response. Or what the pilot and said back. Nothing. He shook it off. I mean, he's cool and calm. He was like, I'm, I'm you know, explain. I'm sorry. It, it was a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal. It, it literally was like 10 seconds. But when you see your pilot's face and he has the same look that you have, those, those intimate moments, it was, it was you, everything goes through your mind. Family life crash, everything that fast. And then he, he flipped the switch, the engine went on. And literally from that moment forward, it was like everything was good. Like the, the stress went away, the chip, the, the icy edges went away. So we come in and we hit beautiful moose, moose country. I mean, the most pristine country you can imagine. We see two huge black bears just out feeding on the berries. I mean, just huge. Oh, oh, I've never seen a bear, in, a bear in a while. So to me, I, would, I couldn't get my camera on it, but it was just beautiful. We get about, he said, about 15 minutes from where we were hunting. Then here's this enormous bull just sitting right in the middle of a meadow huge you can see you can see the paddles from the air i was like you know what this is you know god's great here we go everything's beautiful we come up to this beautiful lake it looks like a big looks like a huge l with a little you know right hook a dog leg back around so it makes it kind of makes a u but the back part of the u is kind of little and he's like this is where you're gonna hunt and all the way around it, there's lakes everywhere. You see trails everywhere. I mean, because everything's water. It may look solid, but there's no solid. There's no. There's not a drop of solid land anywhere. So you can, when you get straight perpendicular to the land, you can see the water, and you can see the trails, and the water shimmering through the trails. And it's like, oh, my God, we're at the Mecca. It was solid trails everywhere. So he does two loops around, and he lets us videotape and take pictures, and we're like, this is, this is perfect. We have a complete aerial. He lands on the lake. And I think this, again, goes back to expectations of what you think you're going to get into compared to what you get into, right? So we land on the lake, not that I thought that they were going to drive, he was going to drive us up to a camp spot with, you know, utilities and, and a camp chair. But I'm telling you, he drove this plane right in the side of the bush and turned it off. Solid water and solid trees. And he gets out and he starts unloading our shit into you know six or eight inches of bog and i'm looking at mike like where, where are we going right ahead of us maybe 20 yards is you know straight tall standing tall standing trees so i'm like so um you know is is there a camp where's where should we put camp where, where should we put camp he's like i think someone's had camp here before so you know just go in there so we Go in there. I mean, the, the forest, it's not big trees. I mean, there's some there's some big pines, but it's just the, the small itty bitty, you know, hand shaped trees. And they're six or eight inches apart all the way through. I couldn't get through there. Mike didn't even try. I'm in there like a, a gerbil just going through there. And I went in till I was sweaty, thinking it was just going to open up and here's going to be dry land and we're going to have hang our clothes here and we'll hang our mate here. No, 
it was lake, it was marsh, and then it was wet trees. I came back out and the pilot was done emptying our shit. And he's waiting for a handshake. And I'm waiting for camp directions. Like, where, where, where are we going? He's like, no, you'll be good. He said, just get in there and cut yourself a camp out. And uh, I'll see you in 14 days. And that was it. You talk about a, oh, shit moment. I mean, because you, obviously, we didn't think we were going to get amenities. But we thought that, you know, we'd have a meadow or a, an opening. No, nothing. So we instantly find our, we brought a Wyoming you know, put together saw, Wyoming bone saw with the, and we had uh, the wicked tree saws. So that's what we did. We grabbed those and we went in about, I don't know, 40 yards and we started bucking brush. Cut it straight down to the bottom and we cut enough for a tent and we stopped there and we brought all our stuff in and kind of, uh, Mike, would, Mike was bringing stuff. I was cutting the trail as we were going. So that was kind of our path. We made a path, but this land, even though it's trees, if you were to step in the same footprint twice, it would hold water. So even though it was boggy stuff, I mean, it looks solid, but if, if I would step and then Mike would step, mind you, you know, we're 500 pounds combined, that footprint would now hold water for the rest of the trip. So we get back, we cut a tent, we put our tent up, and then we start cutting camping. We put enough to, to put a couple SJK tarps up, and we put everything underneath the tarps, and then we just kind of sat down and collected ourselves and was like, you know, this is different. It's going to be okay. You know, we have shelter. We have food. We have water. We're good. So everything was still a another not your expectation because who knows? You, you go off of TV shows, which are 90% guided and and you know, make believe or, you know, the scenery is just isn't, it wasn't what we were at. So what did you guys do to keep your tent from like being submerged when you're sitting in we, the thing? We didn't. Stack all the dead tree or the trees you cut up on it or? No, we covered our, we covered our, um, our little, we had little six inch put up cots from Cabela's that they gave us. Yeah, we wrapped those with um, trash bags. Because by the time we woke up in the morning, ass was in water. Last step of the night was out of water. We'd come to the edge of the tent, and we'd slide off our waders at the door of our tent, and we'd jump on that cot, and we'd undress on our cot. And the very first step of the morning was slide to the end of the cot and get your waders on and get your boots on, and off you went into the up. There was nothing dry. After the first... I say after the first two, oh my God, I forgot something. Okay, literally I can believe this. Let me rewind just to where the plane lands on shore and the pilot starts taking stuff off. Mind you, he's an expert. He knows what the hell he's doing. I just step off with him and I, you know, he grabs something, I grab something and put it with you. I turn around just to see Michael go head first into the lake. <laughs> what? And you don't dry out up there, dude. No. You don't and dry the out. Water is freezing. Out. So yeah, so very first step. Because you know, you don't know about the country yet, right? You think most lakes you have water and you have solid earth, you know, solid bank under the water. 
Well, that's not the case, especially where we were at. That was not the case. You had water and then you had 12 to 18 inches of silt before you hit the bottom. So Mike stepped down thinking he was going to hit the bottom and that the silt was longer than his leg. So <whistles> see you later. Mind you, we have maybe three outfits apiece. And we're wearing all our heavy stuff because they tell you to wear all your big stuff so the, the weight equals out or whatever. And he's in full waders, so all that water is now inside the waders, oh. inside the boots. Listen, we're there for five minutes. I turned at him, and I went to instant, you know, Discovery Channel, what would Bear Grylls do? What would the Survivor people do? You got to get naked. You got to get a fire. You got to do something. You, you're going to die of hypothermia. I'm tell me. You. Tell me you two got naked. <laughs> uh, well, there's some things we never tell. But no, he, he was good. I mean, he was good. I was stressed. I know he was stressed, but he's, you know, a man of great character. He never showed any weakness at that point or any point from that point forward. But he was soaking ass wet. Once the pilot left, we had camp up, we had shelter, and we had a cover. Yes, he, he disrobed, hung all that stuff up, and went to outfit two. And that outfit hang, hung there. I believe he re-put it on on day nine. <laughs> That's how long. So, so that was step one. So now we're back in the tent. You know, everything's wet. It rains every day. It's foggy every morning. Nothing that we have was dry, except for what we slept in. And then we put everything in the base of our sleeping bags to, to dry out, you know, under body heat. So that was the biggest thing. We weren't expecting that. I mean, you, you, could, you expect to live through rain, right? I'll get through rain. I have great gear. You know, my, my rain gear is impeccable. But you don't think about 30 degrees and everything being wet. Everything. Everything you touch is soaking wet. Everything you touch is wet and cold that is a mental that's a mental hurdle for real that right there is why i searched for years to find a good lightweight set of waterproof gloves yeah because if you're just gloves and you're going through and you're touching stuff 10 minutes later your gloves are soaked and you might as well just take them off because why wear yeah. gloves? 30 degrees outside you've got to find a really good i've only found one pair that's super lightweight it's not like two hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard. Cold man. and miserable is, is something that it's the two elements put together. I think that could break any man at any time, especially for a duration of time. So, so that's that's day one. We really didn't do anything day one. We didn't blow the boat up. We we set camp and we cooked us a meal. I mean, and we just sat and we just talked and you know just got. So you had you weren't rushed to get out and hunt. You had this yeah hour. So and, and realistically, honestly, until you said that, I mean, I know we knew that there, but yeah, I, I even forgot about that. But we weren't even trying. I don't even think we unloaded the rifle and my bow. I honestly think we got there and regrouped our mentality and regrouped into realism into where we were compared to where we thought we were and how now. Because for two years, we prepared for what we thought we were going to be in, right? Or oh, we could do this, we could do that, we could go here in glass, we could... No. It was still as flat as Bethel. Out of your tent, on dry ground, putting your socks 
on, putting your Pepsi, shoes coffee. on, getting everything nice and right, and that's gone. That's out the window. Gone. And you talk about messing with someone's psyche. When you step in water, poop in water, walk in water, cook in water, terrible. And what's worse is they gave us instant coffee, which tastes like three times decaffeinated poison. I think I would rather silt dirt into water than drink that stuff. We tried for three days. We tried with sugar, cream. I didn't think we put some mayonnaise in at one time to do something. It was so horrible. So yeah, we went two weeks without coffee, which I don't know if you're coffee guys or not, but that's my mojo. That's yeah, my that's my pre-workout. That's I gotta have it. Starbucks like mocha <laughs> yeah. in a pack, dude. I always have a ton of those with me. That's what I, I can tell you what I was drinking in Alaska, dude. <laughs> so day two, which is day one hunting, we blow the boat up. Right, we have a, a hand pump boat dinghy, you know, a little blow up raft with a nine a nine eight on the back, which again I'll I'll restress this. Me and Mike are over five hundred pounds a piece in a blow up boat. <laughs> we blow it up and we we test it out. I go first, then Mike goes, then we go together, and it, it held us. So we we drove around the lake and got a lay of the land and took the aerials with us and decided there was pretty much four very large meadows that were instant access off the shore of the lake. So we said on planning this trip and talking to everybody that's ever hunted that I can get a hold of and that would talk to me, they said no matter where you go, hunt that area for three days. Hunt it, call it, you know, call it 20 minutes, lay it off 10 minutes, call it 20, lay it off. There's variations about that, but that's kind of what we did. So we, at that point, found a beautiful meadow on the other side of the lake and decided this was it. So we went back to camp. We loaded up some food and the cameras and everything, and we went right back, bam, bam, and we, we hunted it for three days and nothing. So we found another meadow, hunted it for two days, nothing, same thing. So we're on day six of not seeing a single animal, not a squirrel, not a rabbit, not a... I mean, I, I thought I saw a Sasquatch twice, but that was Mike pooping. But we, <laughs> we didn't see anything. And I talked to many people that hunted this exact hunt and that hunted Alaska big time. And they said that was, you know, the biggest, the biggest challenge in Alaska is mental, not physical. Because most people that do these adventures, they prepare themselves physically, right? Which we were. We were, we were ready. But that mental strain of not seeing anything it, it tokes on you so many different ways. Am I calling right? Am I calling too much, too short, too long, at the wrong time of day? Are we too loud? I mean, all these, all these things go through your mind of doubt of what are we doing wrong? Other those are things. Have, those are things you probably didn't even think of, right? Going in. I, I want to say no. But Sean Smith did this hunt last year, and he's been a, an incredible resource for me. I, I talked to when during these last two years, I talked to him probably at least once a month, and he said the same thing. He said he saw a bull the first day, then they didn't see anything for ten days, and then they shot two bulls back to back. But when someone tells you it, and then to go live it is something different. Like I was prepared. Yeah, I, okay, and I kept actually I kept referencing 
Sean. I kept, Mike, remember, Sean didn't see anything for 10 days. This is only day four. Well, now, mind you, me and Mike had been friends. and We played football together, and we've been through some of the most highest emotional things that men could be in when you go to physical combat. We never, ever once had a single miscommunication or adjustment in tone or nothing. We always had the same look on our face, and it was always how and what and what, where, how, what, where, what do we need to do to get better? Are we doing right? Let's break down our situation. And everything, I, we always felt that we were doing the correct things. We were doing what other people told us to. I mean, that's what sucks because you're doing what other people tells you to, told you to do. You've never experienced it. We've never hunted elk. We've never been in this country. So we're relying on 100% of other people's advices. Is Sean, is Sean worth a damn? Is he really a good hunter or did he just stumble upon something? Did he do these other guys? I mean, all those things go through your mind, but we just, we just stuck to the plan. No, we're sticking to the plan. Three days per spot. Call, call, call. Call, call, call. Day six, go to the same spot. Wake up. We get there. It was, this is the only difference on day six. Day six and the day that I killed my bull. It was the only two days where it didn't rain from sun up till sundown. I don't, I don't mean consistent rain. I mean, it was consistent rain, but you'd get an hour break or so. But it wasn't enough break where you think that you could go out and set in an adventure. I'm not saying that we sat in a, in a tent at all. But I'm saying when you're toting cameras and you're driving a boat and it's blowing 30 and raining and nothing's moving for the first 50, the first five days, you know, you don't venture out as far. You know, we went to the, the closer, the closer meadows at night and, and gave a couple, two or three hour calls here or there. But day six, we woke up. The clouds broke at night. We woke up in the tent and it was iced over. We stepped outside and the little puddles were iced over. And we were like, uh-oh. Everybody knows what happens when, you know, temperature changes and, and the world changes like that. So we were upbeat right away. We're, I don't even, we didn't even eat. Of course, we didn't drink that coffee. So we had, we had these little life, you know, the life straw. We had the containers that you just screw the life straw on. And we suck. That's all we do. We just go out to the lake and dip that joker in that cold, that cold, clean lake water and drink it. And that was it. We hit the boat. We were sitting there pounding that water. And off we went with, you know, dreams and, and hopes. We hit the, the meadow that we were at. And just a, a visual, the lake was directly behind us. From the shore to where we sat was about 40 yards of dense trees, like almost not walk-throughable trees. And then it opened up to a half mile long, left to right, you know, uh, a south to north meadow that was a was 180 180 yards at 10 o'clock, and it was 450 yards at two o'clock, and then everything you know, two o'clock to to five o'clock was you know three quarters of a mile long. So that's what we hunted for these from day three to six. So right right in front of us is 200 yards of open meadow and then trees. So we're sitting there, you know, we're there at sunrise, it's 10 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock, we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, whoa, 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 every step, whoa, mind you, we haven't heard a branch break, a lead, a bird, a squirt, we haven't heard anything yet. This thing echoed like it was sitting in our laps, and we just stopped, like, time just stopped. Wind stopped, and you could just hear it, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It was like a damn, like Michael Myers. 
and we both stand up. And this was this was this was me and Mike's only confrontation, and it wasn't even a confrontation. Mike's like, "Here he comes." I was like, "I know, he's right behind us." Mike's like, "No, he's right in front of us." I was like, "No, he's behind us on the other side of the lake." Mike's like, "No, I hear branches break. He's in front of us. Sit down, shut up." So Mike, hey, Mike's bigger than me, you know, so. I sit down, like, damn. And the, the moose kind of goes quiet. So we're sitting there, we kind of sit there for five minutes, just kind of looking at each other, like, did we hear it? Five minutes go by, oh, it's louder, oh. I turned to Mike and I was like, it's behind us. And I just bolt. And mind you, he's, he tries to grab me. Why are you trying to grab me? <laughs> I boat behind us and I'm going to shore. He sit down, sit down. I went to the shore and I'm looking and across the lake. It's probably it's well, it's it was 800 yards across the lake because that'll come into the story. 800 yards across the lake is the other shore, which is a, a very sharp peninsula, very sharp peninsula. Because we're going around a U-shaped lake and he's on this side of the peninsula walking left to right. And I'm facing him. He's walking left to right. Not yet. But I hear him and he's walking. Whoa, whoa. I'll say, so I get enough information and I know I could go back and tell Mike that, you know, we're golden. So I hustle back through the trees, like running through the trees. And he's like, you know, what the fuck are you doing making all that noise? I was like, he's on the other, he's on the other side of the lake. Let's go. Mike still doesn't believe me. He's, he still thinks I'm spooking him from in front of us. So basically, we have a come to Jesus. We grab the camera. We grab Mike's rifle. Cause I didn't have my bow. It, I, I don't even know how it was Mike's day to hunt or we, we just had the, just had the rifle with us and we go back through the trees. We hit the shore and cause literally you come out of the trees like a, like a, like a curtain. As soon as you come out of the trees, you're in wide open. Like, and there he was, there he was first animal we've ever seen first moose we've ever seen in, in real time. And he was sitting there every step. Whoa, whoa, every step walking left to right. We range him. He was like 745. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? Mind you, obviously, first thing we've ever seen. So hearts are racing, adrenaline's about to think. We're not thinking. First thing I said is let's get in the boat and go after him. Mike's like, nope, nope. And he had the weapon. So, you know, it's, it's his choice. He's like, let's go back in the meadow and run up, up, the, up the meadow two or 300 yards and we'll be at, you know, that four or 500 yard mark and we can make a, an ethical shot across the lake. Uh, shit. Sounds like a great plan. So let's go. So we get through the trees walking and then we start to run through the marsh, man. We didn't get 25 or 30 seconds into running and we're both dead grabbing knees, holding each other up. Don't throw up. Don't throw up. We got to go. Cause you're, it's like running on a trampoline with no bottom in wet marsh, carrying a gun with your heart rate through the roof, going after an animal. It was like the worst case scenario ever. What's that? I said, and you with camera gear. So it's not like just he had all the equipment. You have camera gear, which weighs more yeah. than what he's carrying. And so. we're in, we're in full sit all day camo. You know, rain gear on top of a heavy jacket on top of two layers because we sat for five days and done nothing but freeze. 
The highest it got was, I think, 42 degrees. We were sitting in 36 degrees in rain every day. So we had on a lot of gear because we just sat all day. And once that happened, we didn't strip nothing. Like we're running in full, all out, almost everything that we brought with us. So we get to, we get to the end and we're, we're both to the point where we could damn near not even talk. And we break through the trees. Obviously that moose has covered twice as much ground as we're at. Now he's over a thousand yards away. So we look at each other like we, like we, this, like we messed up. We may lose this moose because now we have to go back. We have to go back and get in the boat and try to get across the lake and get on the same ground that he's on. So now not only are we dead from running there, now we have to turn around and look that damn, that same gift in the mouth. And we have to walk or hustle that exact 200, 300 yards back to the boat just to hopefully get an opportunity on this animal. So that's what we do. We, we make it. We get there. It wasn't pretty, but we, we got there. We get in the boat. And uh, <laughs> I start the motor up. Mike's in the front of the boat like a dead piece, piece of meat. I'm draped over the motor just hoping the wind makes it in my mouth and into my lungs. And off, off we go directly at him. And I, we didn't make a decision. I think that we were so lack of oxygen and decision making at that time that we just headed directly at him, like beeline form. We went from a thousand yards to, you know, 600 yards. We both had life 500 yards, you know, now Mike's, you know, chambering around a and looking through the scope and we're starting to communicate. And I was like, you know, I, I think that, I think he's going to let us get up on him. Right. They, they haven't seen a boat. We were in absolute slow mode, so we were creeping, we were creeping 500, 400, 300. We hit the, the reef of, you know, lilies. I don't know how there's lilies in that temperature, but there were. There were lilies and grass, and on the other, on the other side of those lilies was calm water and then the shore. So we hit those lilies. I hit the motor, turn it off, and we just go to coast mode. We coast to 200 where we coast to 250, we, I think we settled right at 212, I think was Mike's shot. And Mike, Mike gets up on him in a boat, a dinghy, an inflatable dinghy in open water. He stands up, puts it on him, comes back down. He's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not steady. So the boat kind of does a little shimmy right to left. We are facing directly at him. And then it shimmies right to left. So we're both kind of looking right at him. And that moose is just kind of posturing. He's done calling. He's just posturing. And Mike just takes a breath, two or three breaths, actually. And I was like, you know, look at him now. Look at him now. Because he kind of turned away and gave us that Texas heart shot, you know, butt right to us. And we both kind of thought that that was it. Like he was going to meander into the trees and be gone. But then he just turned his head back around to see what we were doing. And that was it. Mike boom, 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 lets him have it. He, his back end drop, his front end drops. He gets back up. I was like, again, again. He chambers again. Boom. Down goes Frazier. The most incredible thing, mind you, not too many people know a whole shit ton about Mike besides what I, what, you know, from the, from, you know, the last five years on, 
Mike hasn't hunted. No one, he said he's always wanted to hunt, but no one would take him hunting. You know, Jesus Christ. He made two shots in a boat standing six inches from each other. One was in the heart. The other was six inches behind him. I've never seen no shit. I can't make that shot. Well, I'm terrible with a gun, as I learned later. But beautiful, incredible. That, that moose didn't go 10 yards. He dropped, stood up. Mike dropped him right there. It was a wrap. It was on the driest ground we had. I mean, even with the moose, we could just feel the water. We couldn't see it. So we sit there, you know, man, emotional, emotional. I mean, I, I was emotional because he did it, and now I knew we could do it. Like, this is possible. We could do this. We just did it. 45 minutes ago, we were still unsure if we deserved it and if, if this was going to happen in our lives. And now we have it down. So we did the, we did the, what you do when you and your, your best friend achieve something. We, we talked and laughed and he called his wife and we just sat there. We literally just sat in that boat and looked at each other and smiled and just, it was like, I don't, I don't even, it's impossible. It's just one of those moments that are just, You'll never forget it, and I hope he remembers it on his deathbed, on that last breath, that, that smile. It's, it's incredible. That feeling was incredible. It was, it was pro- it's not worse. It's not better than mine. I'm not saying his was a kill. The emotion, I was worse on mine, but when I felt my accomplished that, huge, huge. I need a drink. So, Mike gets it. Now what? <laughs> After we dispatch it, mind you, I took an entire day, get it back to camp, and now it's time to finally eat. Right? You've been on dehydrated food, crap. I can't say crap, just not food. You don't, you don't live when you're out there. You survive. So we get a bunch of good meat in us. And mind you, moose, I've never had it. It's the best field meat that I've had campfire side. And most of the time you clean an animal, you smell some of the musk, and if you hit the gut, you smell some some of that. And sometimes it taints your 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 nose and your mouth and you eat. This moose was so clean. It was man, best best meat I've had in the field. So that would be day seven. In comes a hurricane. And the only reason I'll be able to actually tell you these numbers is one, my sister lives in Anchorage, and two, we had a state trooper come check to make sure that we were alive. The day after Mike shoots his moose, the clouds seal up, the wind goes to 40, 50 mile an hour sustained, and we get 80 to 90 mile an hour gusts for two solid days straight. We never left our tent two days. We peed out of the little zipper window thing that you get in those Alaska guide models. And we lived off candy bars and granola bars. We never left our tent. Our tent, I told you we cut the tent into the forest when we were there. Our tent was being pulled off the ground and Mike and I were being rolled on top of each other inside of our tent. That's 500 pounds of meat being pulled off the ground by this wind and the rain 
it was it was horrible i can't even i can't even justify it's the only thing i could think is if you were told to evacuate a hurricane and your dumb ass decide to stay there and pitch a tent in your backyard to see if you could make it that's how i could relay that for two days we sat in that tent and just looked at each other zipped up like in the mummy tent with just your head out and just looking at each other like <laughs> is this it jack is this is this it because y'all have you always have that that fear what's the tree falls what if it's what if it squashes us right here i mean that's the only real i guess that's the only real fear we had besides just the terrifying sound of the wind with those high trees. I mean, it's, it sounds like a, uh, a freight train just ripping through you for two days in the wind and the bottom of the tent was soaked. The inside of the tent was soaked. The rain fly failed. It was dripping water into the mesh. And then we'd have to, we were hitting it out to get it. So it wasn't dripping on top of our sleeping bags. That was the worst thing I've ever been through in the outdoors ever. Worse than snow, worse than being cold or anything I've ever done, that was the only time in my life in the outdoors where I was wondering what was going to happen in the next hour. Like, what's this can't get any worse. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? Two solid days of that. In the third morning, or the third evening, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning, it just stopped like a switch. Just went away. And we, we walked outside, pitch black. You could see the stars. It was silent. And, you know, we just kind of sat there, went back in the tent, slept. We woke up the next day. And I kid you not, we didn't even talk about this. We both just kind of went to the boat. We got in the boat. And we just went in the middle of the lake. And we just kind of sat there. And just kind of, the sun was out. It was a beautiful. It was the most beautiful day we've had there. Sun was out. Everything was everything was gone. And here me and Mike in the lake, no weapon, just sitting there, like, holy shit, holy shit. And just about just about an hour into that, we hear a float plane. Mind you, Mike's. Mike's moose is down, and we call it for meat evac. We hear a plane, and we're like, you know, that 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 might be. Or you know, you hear planes around in a distance, kind of like you anywhere in the world that you hunt. You kind of hear planes off in a distance. We heard several, but this one was different. It was close, and we're like, that maybe that's the meat. Maybe that's the meat pickup. And then it gets real close, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere. A plane just flies right over the top of us in the middle of the lake. We're like, well, that has to be our meat pickup, obviously. It circles around and it comes back even lower. So low, we can see the pilot and we can see State Trooper on the wings. So State, state Trooper comes in and he lands, pulls up, pulls up to our little inlet to our camp. We take the boat, we meet him there. And his first words were, I'm glad you're alive. And we're like, okay, so first sure. off, we felt almost relief, like we're not pussies. Like that really was really bad weather. We weren't just, you know, city boys in Alaska that can't take normal weather. No, he, 
he proceeded to tell us that in Anchorage they had they had recorded wind gusts of 90 miles an hour in Anchorage and sustained wind gusts of 50 there. And we're, I don't know how many miles, whatever, but we're in the, you know, the Yukon River drainage. You know, we weren't two miles from the Yukon River. So you know it had to be worse because that's got to be just a funnel for wind. And he's like, yeah, we, we emergency evac plenty of camps over these last two days. I'm glad you guys are alive. Holy shit. What'd you say? Whew. That's a true story. So we talked to him, shoot the shit, ask him where the moose are. He's like, they're everywhere. It's a great area. The bigger ones are farther away. That's okay. That's great to hear. And, uh, you know, he checks our meat. He, you know, gives us high fives for how we took care of everything, liked our camp, liked our camo. <laughs> and uh, that was it. It was an hour meeting, and he was off. Off to the next camp, off to check on the next uh, the next drop place to make sure that nothing happened to them. So off he goes. Me and Mike have lunch, and we kind of settle in camp that night and just kind of call from camp, just kind of, you know, getting getting back to it, readjusting our lives because that was – those two days were hell. So that was seven. We got to be on day eight or something by now. The next The next three days, same thing, nothing. We pick a different meadow. We go to that meadow. We call it for three days. It's rainy. It's nasty. No animal movements on where we're hunting. But when we, you know, tule to and from in the boat, we see we see moose. Mind you, I'm still with my bow, right? So I'm still trying to make it happen with my bow. We see moose on shore. We try to get on them. We either spook them getting on them or well, we always spooked them getting on them. There's only one moose that we didn't spook. And we called him from, I don't know, I'd say three-quarters of a mile all the way around the lake to 80 yards. Got great film of him. He gets to 80 yards, and he's just, he's just facing me. He won't turn. He's just, he's just facing me. And he won't turn, and he won't turn, and he won't turn. And 80 yards, I take that shot all day long, broadside, quarter two, quarter away. Frontal, nah. That's it's probably the biggest animal and the best animal to take that shot on at that range, but uh, I didn't want it to go down like that. I didn't want him to have to run seven miles and me pack him out to find him. So we sit at 80 yards for about, I don't know, half-hour standoff, and he just goes away. I mean, I don't even know how he disappears. He just disappears. It's like I turn to Mike because Mike's right over, the, my, right over my shoulder with the camera, but it's like one minute he's here, and the next minute he's gone. It's like there wasn't even that that slighted chance of him quartering off as he as he as he left. That was a, a huge defining moment in my hunt, and to be quite honestly, in 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 my life, I've had a whole lot of come to Jesus since during that trip, since that trip about you know how I hunt and why I hunt the way I hunt and what have you. But pretty much. After that adventure, or after that moment with him, I, I put my bow away. And I, I told Mike that now it was time for the rifle. We were on, I think we had to be on day 11 by now, day 10 or 11, 10, somewhere in there. I knew that, you know, they say you go for 14 days, but day 14 is a pickup day, which means you have to break camp down. So that's not realistic. So you're hunting on 13 days. We were on, we had to be on 10 or 11. 
and I was out of my mind. I mean, I, I've jumped this my whole entire life. My best friend in the world has a moose down and I don't. And my selfishness and my passion for archery has put me in a situation that I might not be successful on this hunt. And it's not even successful. It is successful, but there's so much that carries on that because this hunt meant so much to me, not just as a hunter, but as a, a life achievement, as a, a man achievement, as it justifies me leaving my family. If I were to come home without a moose, I, man, I promise you, I don't know if I'd be able to hunt again, except for Sunday nights with Will. I just, I had, I had to shoot a moose. I had to shoot a moose. And we weren't hunting horns. Mike didn't even know. I don't even think he knew his bull was a bull. I say that in haste. I mean, obviously we did, but he saw paddles and it was a wrap. We didn't put that bull in binoculars one time, nor with my bull. We saw a huge animal. We saw it had horns and we were on them. There was no, we were hunting. We were fulfilling an adventure and hunting this animal. And that has been the greatest time to not stress about this that or another we were doing it it had paddles it's a wrap now i missed the opportunity in an antler restriction area or like a three no like no that. the area that we were at was was zero restrictions yeah that's so much nicer that you're not like ah is he big enough should we shoot it and then you get that moment of oh crap did i shoot a big enough one so that's nice that you didn't have that Oh, man, I don't even know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that without a guide because they are so huge that everything looks big. Everything. It's like everything. I'm, I couldn't tell you what 50 inches is. But we were just hunting. And, and when I was with my bow, we had – I had if I had a rifle, I'd have been tagged out the exact same day Mike was tagged out. There was a bull on the way back – on the way back – when we were when we were dispatching Mike's bull back to camp, there was a bull at point blank range, and I looked at Mike and I was like, "No, it wasn't. That wasn't. That wasn't my journey at that point." And that weighed on me every day because every day I I hear Mike talk to his wife, "No, you know, no, yeah, no, Matt passed it up. No, it's like that shit gets to you." And it puts pressure on you. And I, I really, I really, I really felt it. Those last couple of days, I really, I was at a point that I'd never been in a hunting adventure where I had to harvest. And I had no confidence that it was going to happen. What I was doing was correct. And what I should do, what the next step should be. I was, I was going blind. I never went, I never was in camp. I was always shore side. I was always calling. I was always hunting. I mean, moose is not an active hunt. Where we were, it wasn't an active hunt. There was no high land. There's nothing to glass. It was flat land. You couldn't climb a tree. It's like it's like Midwest whitetail hunting. You have cornfields and you have stripped timber. Climbing a tree and stripped timber just shows you the same damn field from a higher advantage. A moose you could see from freaking 10 miles away. So climbing a tree wasn't helping anything. So to me, it was it was hard. I mean, to the point that I was voicing it to my wife. We were having conversations about it. And, you know, she, she brought it up that she'd never heard. She never saw this, this person in me, which made me 
that's something I've reflected on myself a lot since this hunt of why I only archery hunt. Why do I why do I put so much pressure on myself when it's so much fun? Just the adventure is so much fun. Who gives a shit? Especially when you've harvested these animals before. That, that so at that point, go ahead. What was it? So while we're talking about it, what was it that you were stuck on the archery? You had your BB stuck on getting one with your bow. What do you think it was looking back on it now that you had that BB stuck? Had you talked about it before that, hey, last two days I'll pick up the rifle? Or were you kind of thinking going into it, it's archery or nothing? And then after you were there, you were like, eh. You so know, the funny thing about it is I, I said to myself, archery or nothing. I told Mike, realistically, the first bull I'll see, I'll probably rip the gun out of your hand and shoot at point-blank range before you even see it. I wanted the adventure. I wanted the moose. I wasn't against gun hunting. I love hunting. I love every aspect of it, every weapon, every animal, anywhere, everywhere. I love it. I've just, I don't have a reason why I hunt the way I hunt, why I have the stupid mentality I have, which I honestly could tell you I don't have anymore because I've, I've taken steps. I have a, I have a, custom rifle on order right now since I've been back. I've taken steps to get that shit out of my life. You it's sound gone. like an I, addict in recovery. I am an addict. Any, any bow hunter is an addict. Why do you, I mean, you are. If to do what you do with the bow, when you can simply do the same thing with the rifle, it has to be deeper. There's, you're searching for something more than the harvest. You're searching for your ability to deceive that animal, your ability to conquer the woods, your ability to be invisible and to, to do things that others won't. Bow hunters are not hunt they're special. They're like ninja hunters. Like they're not they're not normal hunters. I not I will not talk shit about any hunter ever. Never. But I just think archery hunting takes a whole lot more of romance and dance and finesse. You can't just see it and kill it. You've got to learn it, pattern it, become the woods to get in there. And the only reason I want to do with my bow, because I've, I've always told myself I want. Just like I want a grizzly with my bow. That's number one. That's been number one in my entire life. If I have a grizzly bear in my house and I shot it with my bow, you can never say shit to me the rest of your life. Ever. Nobody. What? I shot a 300-inch whitetail. Do you see that grizzly? I shot it with my bow. Right? I mean, that's just that's just one of those things. It's just that man thing that I have in my head. If I shoot a moose and a, a, a grizzly with my bow, that is my epitome of me being the best hunter I could be. Not shooting every animal in the world like Shockey is going to do before he dies. Or not, you know, holding out for 200 plus inch deer that, you know, this guy does or that guy does. <clears throat> I'm a very minimalist hunter. You don't ever see me trophy hunt. I shoot animals with my bow because it's hard. A spike's no hard. Well, it is a little harder, a little less hard than a 400-inch elk, but it's still hard. So I don't pass up those opportunities because, as we were stating earlier, like, well, we don't get that many opportunities. I got four freaking kids, college and sports and dance recitals and I, I don't have the time. So for me to be selfish and be out there and say, no, wasn't big enough. Sorry, babe. I got to stay another eight days and hope I get an opportunity or I could seal the deal right here on this great animal, provide meat and have the exact same adventure, the exact same smile and story, just a, a different size trophy. I won't, I won't get the likes, but I think that, you know, that's who I am and I, I'm accepted for that because I don't give a shit. 
I'm an archery hunter. I've, I've always been an archery hunter. I, I promise you I'm not now. I'm a hunter, but I've always enjoyed just the adventure with my bow and the dance. So <clears throat> back to the hunt because, damn, I put my bow up after that. I, I honestly did. I put it up. I told Mike, it's, I have, I, this has to happen. And it's, it's now and it's rifle. And, you know, and I took his rifle out. And I put it up on the tripod and I went over it like the first time you ever get a rifle. I looked at it and I touched it and I unchambered it and I looked through the scope and I, I, I went through the gun because I've, I've never shot anything with Mike's gun. I've never held Mike's gun. That's Mike's gun. So I went through that dance and we, we went to an area that wasn't a meadow. We kind of just a little, we were just a little bit outside of camp and we just called and we called for two days. <clears throat> the first day we called, we called all day, all day, all day, all day. And at night, like the last 45 minutes, we hear the bull, same side as we are. Whoa, whoa. We're like, oh shit. I'm just dead still. I don't know what to do because I, I, I don't want to go chase him. And I have a gun, so I think if I just hold still, I can shoot him anywhere because. I'm stupid. So I'm telling Mike, let's just stay. We'll call him in. Mike's like, no, we're going after him. You have a gun. I was like, well, okay. So we chase after him through the brush, and a quarter mile, half mile later, we bump him. We don't get a shot. Get back to camp. Go to sleep. Wake up. It's pitched. There's so much fog. It's actually the intro that I'm doing for the video. There's so much fog. It looks like the most perfect Scooby-Doo and Shaggy intro ever. Like you see the black trees and the gray sky and it's nothing but fog halfway up and you can just see it just dancing. And then there I am bankside just calling and called all morning, called all morning, called through breakfast, called through 10 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock, and that's when Mike killed his bull, and that's kind of where we saw bulls on the side of the lake. And I'm just sitting there, and snap. I heard this huge branch break, and we didn't hear a single branch break the entire trip. We didn't hear a bull take a step. Even that bull at 80 yards in front of us, we didn't hear him walk through the water. They're incredibly graceful for being as huge and silly looking as they are they just they run through it and you don't hear it they go through the trees more graceful than an elk like how does an elk go through those trees full speed so i hear the branch break and i'm instantly just i don't say a word to mike i'm on shore like toes in the water on shore mike's behind me kind of just sitting just you know just has a camera in hand but just kind of just waiting mind you it's 11 o'clock we've been doing this for five hours five minutes go by ten minutes go by and i hear it whoa whoa it was right across from us i kid you not it's on video you'll see this i turn to mike i say get the fucking camera i turn around and there he is took 12 seconds he stepped out I get back on Mike's gun, chamber around, hit the scope, and I ask him, I said, do you have him on camera? He's like, yeah, boom! That was shot one.
Mind you, I don't know where I hit him because I didn't aim. I saw the moose through the scope and I pulled the trigger. <laughs> I'm not, can't make this shit up. I, I hit him center mass going forward. It was all lung, but it was center mass. It was a, a hunter's worst nightmare. You put him in the scope, your brain goes dead, your finger reacts by itself. He was in the scope, he was in the middle of the scope, and that gun went off. He takes off running left to right, he goes about 50 yards and he slows down, his ass starts dragging a little bit. I can't see him in the scope anymore. So I come off him, I, I, you know, I had him zoomed in all the way, so you know, anybody who's ever shot a gun knows, I unzoomed it, looked at him, looked him through the scope, got him, zoomed him back in, Boom, another one. He takes maybe 15 steps, goes directly away from us, gives us that butt shot again. Mike's screaming at me, you know, what's your scope on? What's your scope on? What's your scope on? I'm, I'm not talking to him. I won't talk to him. And I'm just sitting there. I just got the, the crosshairs on him. And he just does, he's facing just right at me. And he just does this. He just turns left to right just so you could see that dark, that crease in his front shoulder, and I pulled it again. The bullet went right off, right off his back leg, right in behind that rib, hit the heart, blew out the front of him, and down goes Frazier. He went, I don't know, five, six steps, laid down, and game was over. I, not knowing Mike's gun, thought that I was good, like, Mike's like, he's going down. I was like, I'm good. I'm on him. I'm on him. He's like, you need more bullets. I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't realize the gun only holds three bullets. For some reason I, some reason I thought it held five. So Mike runs back to the tent, grabs more bullets. He tries to hand them to me. I can't even take the bullets from him. Buck fever has set in me so bad. I couldn't stand. I couldn't reload a weapon. I was shaking head to toe uncontrollably. Mike loads the weapon back in. I try to get back on the weapon and I couldn't even get the I couldn't even get the horn back in the scope. I just stepped away. I just I literally stepped away and I sat there in the glory of a 12-year-old boy that just shot his first animal and it was the most it was the most emotional time as a hunter I've had ever. Ever, ever. I looked at Mike, he, we made eye contact, and I promise you I went in for the best hug I've had. And I just, I just, I melted in the moment. I couldn't believe it. It happened. And honestly, that, man, it was, it was, it was an incredible moment in my life. Anytime that you could set your, your heart on something, plan for it and it comes together through so much trial and tribulation and heartache and doubt and you kill something five minutes after you thought that she would never do it bro crazy crazy in a nutshell boys that's it we dispatched that animal and called for evac and Took him a day to get us, and it's even telling the story. It, it just, 
it just it just welts me up, man. It's incredible. It's just it's incredible to do something that you set your heart on so hard, so hard, so hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right. In a nutshell, that is that. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Natural Born Hunter Podcast. Wake up, do like Matt does, and chase down your dreams with everything you have, and repeat.